This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. When this month ends, you're going to start thinking about the holidays, right? So we got November and December. What holidays do those conjure up for you? Hmm. I'm a big fan of uh, what is it? Uh, Veterans Day. Actually, yeah, I'm a big it. fan. I am a big fan of Veterans Day. But you're alluding to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and and uh, let's not forget Hanukkah. Right. All things, all things holiday and spiritual in both months. But yes, if you're, we've done it before. We've done it a lot. If you are looking to make your holiday preparation a little bit easier or a lot easier, Zupans is a great place where they have everything from soup to nuts. You can order uh, part of your meal or all of it. Uh, at Zupans. And as we get closer, we'll be talking in detail about the things you can order for Thanksgiving and the Christmas and Hanukkah holidays coming up. That's right. And don't forget the Cellar Z, which is located in the basement of the Burnside store. Uh, that could be a good location for maybe a family or company get together. It's one of the best private dining secrets in Portland. You can find out more about it online. Zupans.com slash Cellar Z. And of course, Visit your local Zupans on West Burnside, on Macadam, or in Lake Oswego. All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It is right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. I'm co-host, even more horse than yesterday, Court Johnson. And I say that because Chris and I recorded this intro and we had some technical issues and it wasn't sounding too great. Oh, I think you sound fine. I think you notice it, but I don't think, uh, you know, you sound fine to me this morning. But we'll get through this pretty quickly so you can rest your voice on a friday and uh i appreciate that yeah (laughs) well whatever i can do court so (laughs) i just uh got a call from my cousin jimmy down in san francisco and i'm a little sad right now quite quite a bit sad actually um his uncle jim uh, Downey passed away, I just learned, uh, within the last half hour. And um, uh, for those, well, nobody would necessarily know, but through uh, marriage, I guess he was a relative of mine. I don't really know, but we became friends. Jim Downey and I became friends about 10 years ago when he wanted to move from Westport, Connecticut out to the Pacific Northwest. He landed in Tacoma. And um, I had the good fortune to be phone friends with him for most of that time. And uh, boy, he would dial me up once in a while and just uh, we'd shoot the shit and I would dial him up. And he was very articulate man, um, very concerned politically what was going on in our country. But what was in, one of the interesting things about Jim is he's a pretty well-known author. He had written a few parodies, one um, on Martha Stewart years ago, and he just he he wrote another fascinating Time Magazine parody of um, Trump being elected president before it was even um, thought that it could actually happen. He was just jokingly surmising this early on in the in the process in 2015 and it's incredible to read what he what he wrote 
what, what was a parody at the time, which became almost all reality. So, um, but I wanted to share with folks uh, one of my favorite essays of his. He was very uh, he could he could write around anybody. He was so good. And there's an essay we'll post on the Right at the Fork Facebook from Jim Downey, who actually also happens to be Robert Downey Jr.'s uncle. So his um, his sister, um, well, his half brother is Robert Downey Sr. So. Um, At any rate, I will share that essay with his writing about his experience going to see the Beatles on Ed Sullivan in 1964, which, you know, I don't know what age anybody has to be to appreciate that. But anybody who's our age, my age, would surely appreciate it. I actually remember seeing that. That was one of my earliest memories. It goes back to when I was just a little tyke. Um, but anyway, it's fun to, fun to watch. So, uh, or fun to, it would be fun to read. And in honor of Jim, I thought it would be good to post it um, right now because it's, it would be of interest to our viewers. And I'm sad right now. This is, it's pretty raw for me. So um, I'm also sad. Um, now that we've learned that Renata is closing, um, that's a very sad one. You know, we don't have a lot of Italian restaurants in Portland and any that have been as storied as that one and had a really interesting story back in 2015, having one restaurant of the year after only six weeks open. That was a big controversy. Um, and some great chefs have been through there too um over the years and uh, i was sad to see you know if you go to renata's instagram you can see what they wrote about the pandemic and how it's not over and it's still affecting restaurants and we know that um things have changed quite a bit hey court i just took a look at my portland food adventures uh speaking of closing at my roster of places where I have done events since 2010. Mm-hmm. Well, Portland Food Adventures has done events since 2010. And kind of much like you and I, when we go back through our episodes and look at, you know, running classic episodes and they're harder and harder to find because chefs are really not operating any longer. I don't have the exact number. I'll go through and get the exact number, maybe by next podcast. But we've done about 85 events, and I think only about 20 of those restaurants are still open. Wow. Yeah, that's really, that really kind of shook me up. You know, some of the chefs have moved to other places, but some of them are just, most of them are just not here anymore. And at the time when we were doing those those events, I was always kind of on top of the world because I thought these were, you know, kingpins in our restaurant industry and never gave much thought to, you know, sometime down the road, they're not going to be around or all of them. Most of them are not going to be around. And it's kind of, um, it's kind of eye opening to see and sad at the same time. Yet we have, you know, we have some new things going on in Portland. I just went to, um, con the other night um and i was you know gregory gorday has been working on opening that for it seems like forever like four or five years and it's open and it's beautiful all his work uh has paid off it's beautiful the service was great the food the haitian food is very interesting um 
I I enjoyed it a lot, and you know Gregory is is killing it. The place was packed, and we closed it down at midnight, so um, that was worth going to. And then, of course, Gabriel Rucker and Andy Fortgang, who've both been on this podcast, all three of those that I mentioned, I had occasion to go to lunch at the New Canard in Oregon City, and I have to say that was. I just came back from Spain and had some incredible food, and I have to say that day that I went to uh, both Canard and Cannes um, was uh, some of the best food I've had in a long time, including three-star Michelin restaurants in um, in Spain. So, so we have some new players in the market. We don't have the Vitali Paleys any longer. We don't have the Scott Doliches. They're still around, but they're not here. Um, and so, uh, yeah, things have changed. Sad to see Renata go. We're going to see some more restaurants close. We have seen quite a few. And, um, but, and here, interestingly enough, this podcast this morning, uh, today with Leif Gildersleeve of Flying Fish, here's a guy who has gone through a lot, starting with a food cart in, uh, on Hawthorne. And then he opened up at Provador, a little oyster bar, and then finally opened up his restaurant right before the pandemic, like a month before, and went through all that it took to open that little restaurant on East Burnside and building it out and building a nice outside area. And he's built it to the point where he's got a staff like Eric Englund, his chef, and the whole front of the house. They know, they have dialed in how to do fast casual. And uh, so he's dialed it in to the point where he has been able to take his family um, because he wasn't really crazy about the Portland school system or the Portland public schools. And uh, they've hired a teacher down in near Sayulita, Mexico. And uh, they're living down there now with his family and educating the kids and coming back every couple of months to check on the restaurant. But as he explains in this interview, he's doing a great job operating from afar. So while it's nice to see someone able to get their business up and running to the point where they can do that. And so that's kind of a, a happy story of someone not being here any longer. And, and that's when I, when I saw his Facebook post uh, about his journey through Utah down to Mexico with his family and what happened to him, which was crazy. It was all he, they were trying to, or some of what his family was trying to escape and get out of Portland for, uh, it happened to him. So we'll listen to him describe, uh, what happened to him on the way down his adventure and how he plans on, um, operating a business from afar and thriving, what he's going to do with his days and also how he remains so articulate and so efficient and on top of things, uh, at the same time where I, my, I've been with him for days on the river fishing, uh, where he smokes a lot of pot. And I asked him about that. So I thought the, the answer was quite interesting. Court, we're in a period here in 2022 where someone, instead of saying, Hey, can we edit that out? Would just, um, take the issue and answer it. <laughs> so I was happy to hear his answer. Yeah, it is. It is different times. I remember. I don't know if you ever watched Weeds on uh, Showtime. I think it was on Showtime, which was all about you know uh, illegal illegal pot, and then eventually becoming. They they do this flash. This is a spoiler alert if you've never watched the series. But there's this flash forward 
in like the very last episode into a world where you know cannabis marijuana pot is is legal and there's fashionable stores that you can go into and i remember seeing that and being and just being like what are they talking about and it wasn't it uh, you know too much longer after that where it happened here in portland and washington and in california well every well now it's you know now we watch bill maher lighting up spleefs on his podcast have you watched that no yeah, so, yeah, now that's where we are. I, I, years of, uh, partaking in, uh, in marijuana since I was a kid, never even imagined that it would be legal. So well, it wasn't good. a thought. You know, my, my education, cause I've, you know, this, this will probably come as no shock to you, Chris, just given my <laughs> background, but I, I have, I have never partaken of the uh, electric lettuce. Is that what we call it? Anyway. I've never done that, but fine. Anyway, but, um, but uh, but my education about kind of uh, America's approach to mar- uh, to marijuana to cannabis, uh, my education actually came from Tommy Chong. He stopped by the radio station uh, that I worked at in Utah years ago, and he did that actually a few times. And we'd have these conversations because you know he went to jail um, right for a few times. And he really got into this conversation of how uh, we call marijuana in the United States because back in the I think it was the 1920s or 30s, they could they were no longer banning alcohol. So they needed to find some other enemy. And they said, oh, this this cannabis plant, let's go after it. And then they changed the terminology to marijuana because Americans are racist. It, it right. sounds it sounds like a foreign plant. And so our cannabis became marijuana. And it was easier to, to hate. Anyway, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. No, Tom, Thanks Tommy for that little tidbit of information comes directly from Tommy Chong's mouth and a very, very smart man. He, he just really got into just how there was this, you know, it was, it was basically a, the, a, a politician in Washington, D.C. needed needed another public enemy and he made it racist uh, by calling it marijuana. Well, the irony of your. Uh, discussing that from Tommy Chong's perspective is that when it became legal, one of the things that kind of, I think stood in the way of of progress was the whole everything that came from Cheech and Chong, which was the party down, man, right. and calling it weed. Um, I've always thought that doesn't do it any good, right? Speaking of negative connotations, weed doesn't help. Um, so interesting. I'm sure he had so many positive things, but I think ironically, what he put forth for many years might have stood in the way of that progress. I may be wrong, but that was always, I didn't, I didn't associate that necessarily with Tommy Chong, but yes, Cheech and Chong, that whole thing, I thought. I hated when people brought it up as we were trying to legalize it. I couldn't stand when I would drive by a dispensary and they would treat it, you know, like, hey, here's some places to get some weed. I never liked that. So at any rate, uh, Leaf has it down. And, and I will say it because you would never know. I mean, he explains that there are times where you might know. But I've seen him smoke quite a bit and he just, he can... Uh, unlike myself right this minute, um, he can remain extremely articulate and energetic. And uh, he explains that in the, in our interview, uh, what he, what he looks for and how he goes about things. But I also think it's in his DNA. He's just a very positive, upbeat, uh, motivated guy. And uh, he gets a lot done. And that's one of the reasons that he, 
he's he and Natalie have taken their family down to Mexico. It's like they weren't going to sit by after the pandemic and see what education systems were coming their way. They decided to take the bull by the horns and uh, make their own. So I think it's a fascinating story. And, you know, Leaf now, I believe... Anybody is welcome to go back and count, but I believe now is our most frequent guest on Right at the Fork. I, so. I think uh, Gary the Foodie still has the. Uh, the well, yeah, t- when, but when it we comes remove Gary the Foodie. Yeah, no, we wouldn't want to remove Gary the Foodie, but Gary's a little different sure. in so far as he's not an operator. Right. And Right at the Fork is about the people, and Gary does in a very direct and indirect way, I suppose, but it's about the tastemakers, the people who make the food and make the drinks and um, also cover it, and Gary covers it. Better than most anyone. Everybody's looking at Gary, but uh, everybody should be looking at at Leaf and at, and Flying Fish is a great place to go. And also, um, you know, Leaf is very interactive. He embodies what I wanted to do with Portland Food Adventures, which is why we have done two trips out to the Snake River with uh, bringing people to go and fish and hang out and eat with Leaf and even smoke a little pot um, with Leaf out on the river um and that embodies everything that we've been trying to do all these years is get people to know chefs and operators better and um so it's it's nice to be able to see that leaf is doing that he does other trips where you can go fish with him in mexico and off the coast of oregon they're not all ready for 2023 but i suggest anybody follow flying fish um, either through email or Instagram or whatever platform you like uh, to see what's going on there. Not only that, but the great food that they're serving at Flying Fish, both to sit down and eat that Eric is preparing for you and also take home. It's a great fish market as well. And Leaf is on the forefront of sustainability and lots of councils. And he talks about that in the podcast too. So he's really someone to pay attention to is a key player in our Portland food world. And we're always happy and honored that he's more than willing to come on the podcast and chat with us about anything. And Chris, we should point out here as we uh, g- get to that interview that uh, while we didn't edit out any conversations about uh, uh, cannabis use, we did. This is heavily edited because there were technical issues uh, with the connection between you on the Oregon coast and him down on the uh, Mexican coast where he's he's currently living. Um, it, it's been stitched together. There are times I should point this out where uh, you don't think you hear each other, but you, but I got the audio. So I did my best to clean it all up, but there may be times where there might be a repeat in content because it was a little bit of a Frankenstein. Yeah, well, I think people can understand that and still listen. And yeah, it was tough. And we almost gave up again. We actually, this was the second time we attempted a second day and it was in and out and we almost gave up. And then I said, well, we got it going. Let's go. Actually, we ended up recording it when we were just going to do a test. And I said, well, if we're doing a test, why don't you block out the next hour in case it works? Yeah. And it just kept going in and out. And in fact, the end, he, I, I don't know, you know better than I, whether he actually, we lost him, but I thought we lost him and I just kind of covered the answer. I texted him for the actual answer that he was giving and, uh, and posted him or mentioned it myself. So I've tried to make anyway, it, I've tried to make it as cohesive and sound as good as possible. But to, to your point, 
point, like halfway through it, because this was done in different segments, you'll actually hear a vast improvement in Leaf's audio, I think because he just moved to a different part of the house. Um, and so that I think he also took the he, oh, he the might earbuds. have put earbuds. Yeah, yeah I think that, those had that, something that to do with improvement. It. So um, bear bear with us. But I think it'll sound good. You know, I, it always sounds good. And, you know, it goes to, you know, I bitched about doing this podcast remotely for a long time. Now I see some of the benefits, but we've had a few instances where we've the technical problems have been really um, tough. And sometimes I just wish we were in the studio. But I don't know if that's going to happen again, but I'm so glad that we still have this podcast in year coming on. We're, we're approaching year nine completing eight and uh thanks to all our listeners for being with us and making it possible and of course our sponsors zupans and um and ringside and um you court for bearing with this too and stitching things together and and your expertise just just doing my part yeah, well, we're all doing our part. So one of us has to be an expert. So uh, I will say Leaf is an expert guest, and now's the time for people to listen to Leaf Gildersleeve of Flying Fish. And Chris, real quickly here, we should point out, you talked about uh, your uh, friend Jim Downing that passed away and that essay about the Beatles. We are going to, you are going to post that uh, essay on right at the Forks Facebook page. So if you're not following us yet on uh, Facebook, please do so and read that great essay. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland. West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years now, Ringside has been providing the best in steaks and has been the home for the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Now featuring dining in their updated dining room and al fresco in one of the nicest outdoor dining spaces in the city. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com and while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about the exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. Interesting, right off the bat. It's kind of, you know how that goes when you don't do it right out of the gates and then you start talking some great conversation and then then you lose it, right? Right, and then I, and then, or, or I risk 15 minutes in saying, oh my God, I forgot to start recording. So we, you? you no, I've, I, I think thing. I've only done that once and it was only about four or five minutes in. But yeah, no. I did that, and I'm not smoking anything, so um, uh, I just wanted to make sure we get all of you in this podcast, and I thank you for um, joining in. The minute you logged on, or like two minutes before you logged in, the sun came out. It's been the, it's been completely foggy up here in the mountain and raining, so it was literally dark all morning. Wow. Is it... Um you know, the, the first the first weather of uh, of the fall maybe did we lose you leaf 
Oops, shoot. No, I kind of lost you for a second there, didn't I? Yeah, now you're back. That's yeah. good. Well, it is. Can you hear me? Be tough being, uh, yeah, I can hear you. All right, well, let's just keep it going. What happened? Okay. I don't know. It's just kind of um, a little bit in and out. Um, just, well, you know. We can keep up with it. I, if we lose you for a few minutes, I can just mark the times and court can uh, fix it up and make it make us oh, cool. both sound just like nothing's happening. The, edit through the choppy parts. All right. And he can probably see okay. them, too, because he can see me yelling, Leaf! So <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to do that in anybody's ear. So anyway, thanks for... Uh, Let's do this now. We were going to do it tomorrow morning, and we figured once we got it going, let's go. So, um, so that's good. I wanted to talk to you. I I haven't even talked to you. I don't think, other than you know, communicating through Facebook feeds, um, since we yeah. were on the river back in were we that we were the early trip right in July. So, yeah, yeah, July. Yeah. yeah. That was a lot of fun with you, my friend. That was, uh, that so was a good much. trip. I felt you like you were um, just in a in a great space and um, calm and just peaceful. We'd already done it one time the year before, so we we just we crushed it. I felt like it went really smooth. Are you implying that I wasn't peaceful the year before or any other time? You maybe a little bit more worked up than this time. <laughs> oh okay all right no well well let me see i'm trying to look back you weren't were you the uh you weren't the first trip last year when we did it anyway no, we're talking about yeah so we're talking leaf and i are referring for those listening referring to trips we did with the unbelievable canyon outfitters folks out on the snake river and won't be doing that way again at least because uh george and lynette um, who've been on that river for over 40 years. I think as of right now, Leaf are retired. I think their last trip was this week or last week. So that's it. 40 years of trips, over a thousand times on the Snake River. And we were incredibly fortunate that we got in on the tail end of their journey. And uh, we were able to be a part of that for a couple of years and at least experience that and share that with some other great people too. Absolutely. You know, I think that part of, you know, why we do this um, and and bring other people in to, to do this is the ability to experience, you know, what that professional has um, to, you know, offer to us. And, um, and, you know, so that we can just take a short glimpse of each of these professionals' careers. And, and I, fortunately, we were able to do that twice with George and Lynette. And, and boy, did we uh, take a glimpse in and, and that was amazing. Well, yeah, but speaking of that, everybody who came along, and this was the whole idea from the get go, got to see the leaf in action with fishing rod and fish and, you know, uh, balancing yourself on rafts and moving from side to side. Pretty incredible. I have always told everybody the idea behind Portland Food Adventures was to get to know chefs better. And man, that just embodied the concept beautifully and getting to know you where you're comfortable on a river um, was a lot of fun for everybody. And uh, yeah, very relaxing too. 
Yeah, same. I, uh, I, I just, I felt, felt amazing. And it's always great to share those experiences with other people and, and, you know, allow us to be in our truest um, element. Leaf, leaf, leaf. We're losing you here. Oh, did you not hear any of that? You know, I just, can you hear me now? I didn't hear much. Now I can hear you. Okay. So just continue with, and I'll just mark it and continue with what you were saying there. You know, I, I felt so amazing from the trip as well. It was just great to be able to share my truest form of expression with everyone else to, um, you know, about being on the water and fishing and cooking and, and all, you know, just, just wonderful, wonderful experiences and, and we'll just continue to have fun fun trips and and share our share our love with with all those positive things so before i guess that's a good it's a good time to mention it before we talk about your journey to mexico and some of the other things that you're doing why don't we mention right up front any and all opportunities people have to go to flying fish and travel with you and fish with you what what do you got going on in the next six months to a year that people might be able to sign up for yeah, so I have not released any new um, trips yet for 2023. The only one I have scheduled right now is in January. I'll be doing a deep sea um, bluefin tuna or yellowfin tuna fishing trip off of the coast of Mexico. Uh, it's a three-night overnight trip um, that's already sold out. So I will be planning some more stuff for the springtime and then for next summer and fall uh, that I'll be releasing typically after the new year. And We'll see what else uh, presents itself. That means that people should uh, sign up at Flying Fish for, for the for the newsletter. Sign up for Flying Fish's newsletter because that's the fastest way and best way to find out what's new and what's going on. Yeah. So on the we always promote these trips when I release the dates um, through the Flying Fish newsletters, and you can sign up for that on flyingfishpdx.com. Just sign up for the newsletter, and then you'll get the information when it comes out on more Mexico fishing trips or I've got an Alaska fishing trip for next summer that is sold out, but I'm looking at um, booking a second date for that. So just keep your eyes on the, on the website. There's a field trips tab on the website that also allows you to look at those trips and see, uh, see what's on the docket, but we're going to have some fun regardless of what we do. You know, I still have Hawaii and Alaska left to cross off to complete my 50 United States visits. So someday maybe we'll get to Alaska. I don't know if you want me fishing with you in Alaska, but I'd love to see it. So that's very cool. And by the way, for anybody listening, we're not necessarily done with our Snake River trips. We have to find some way, some people to do it that at least approximate how well George and Lynette hosted us. And so we're still on, we have some possibilities. So, so it may be a possibility for next summer to go with, uh, Leaf and Portland Food Adventures on the River. Again, subscribe to both our our newsletters, Portland Food Adventures and uh, Flying Fish, and you'll know. So, Leaf, let's talk about your journey to Mexico because you told me about this this summer that um, you are living in Mexico now. Let's talk a little yes. bit about that, and then your trip your trip down. Absolutely. Yeah, I am in um, Mexico as we speak, as you might hear from our spotty internet connection. It's, it's about par for the course for down here. And 
got my team back at Flying Fish running the ship there. I'll be back every two months to check in and, and offer my my support for, for them. But, you know, it's kind of a new chapter for me for Flying Fish. Flying Fish has always been my baby. I started it after the recession and it's always been me and, and a team that have run the, run the ship. And this is the first time when I'm physically not there at the store and allowing that ship to run without me. So it's a, a pretty special time for me to be able to see this creation continue to prosper and, and operate without Mr. Leaf, Hurricane Leaf, they call me around there, um, <laughs> actually physically doing the work. Isn't that the goal, generally speaking, for most people who open restaurants, whether they be chef or restaurant operators, to be able to operate and not be there? That's uh, that's what you try to set up from the get-go, I would imagine. Not everybody. Some want to be in the kitchen, but I think it's awesome. And then let's talk about why you're in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that it is the goal for a lot of people to set up a business and, and to have it run without them. Uh, I think the challenge for most of us entrepreneurs is that when you set that up and you start working in it, you have such a heartfelt passion and feeling with that business that it's hard to actually separate yourself, um, especially if you're still in town um, to actually let those things happen without you. So um, that release is is really really the hardest part of of having a business and not having you be the person there to to baby it along the way but it is ultimately the goal of of any entrepreneur is like yeah let's have this thing run you know start something and have it run without you so uh, I'm, i'm really excited to you know be working on the business not in the business and that's really my goal of being down here in mexico is to have these metrics in place and have um, points that I look at from a digital perspective of how the business is running and the health of the business on a week by week and month by month basis, um, while the physical side of the business is still operating. I'm actually watching and seeing this organism still operate. So it's it's pretty special. Yeah, and that is a testament to the team that you've put together. Um, there that can operate it and do a really great job without you there. It took a few years to get to that point. And I think from what I can see, uh, and you certainly know, you wouldn't have made the move unless you knew it was solid. Um, but from what I can see, you got a great team. And uh, I think people can expect everything that they've uh, experienced at Flying Fish over the past few years. It's going to continue that way. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have done the trip without the team in place. Uh, You know, even before the before I left, there was some turnover and some changing the guards of different managers that I had, um, and then that were no longer with me. So we really had an opportunity to reshuffle um, roles and responsibilities and who did what and really figure out what was going to be the best situation or the best scenario for, for those responsibilities. And so far so good. And, and like you said, it's, it's really important to have a good team that also can see what your values are as the owner and as this proprietor. Um, and then also be in alignment with, with those same goals. So it's, it's pretty special. All right. Speaking of goals, you got family goals, which is why you're down in Mexico. Let's talk a little bit about that. What drove you down to Mexico? So the farm school that we had going during the pandemic, uh, we ran that for two years and we had an amazing situation and teacher and school for about a dozen kids. 
and then it the teacher moved on and got another job teaching somewhere else and the farm school property kind of went away so we decided instead of putting our kids in public school in portland we decided to go ahead and give them a more international experience i was a foreign exchange student through rotary group all the way in high school when i was a junior in high school in 96 97 and i had an amazing experience in ecuador and I wanted to give my kids that kind of international experience to teach them more about other cultures and that things are not necessarily the way they are in the United States and every other place in the world, for that matter. So we decided to choose a school, uh, an area down in Mexico, a little bit north of Sayulita called San Pancho. It's, you fly into Puerto Vallarta and it's about an hour north of Puerto Vallarta. So cool little jungle town on the Pacific coast of Mexico. There's great food here, palm trees, the ocean's amazing. And we brought a teacher with us. So we have a little jungle school uh, with a little tree house for the kids um, for their learning. Uh, The kids are going to school four days a week. And we've opened it up to some other families to bring their kids and engage and teach them as well. So we have a teacher. They're bringing getting Spanish lessons every week. They're getting real life practical experience and international, you know, cultural experience on top of the education. So really excited to be here to give them a cool opportunity. That is awesome. So, um, you know, I was going to ask you if you just didn't have faith in the Portland public schools. I'm sure that was a little part of it, but the the offensive part of that, and I don't mean offensive from a negative standpoint, I mean playing offense and finding a better opportunity is what you were really after. It wasn't necessarily that you thought, we can't do this anymore, we got to find something better. You just had a better idea, period. And uh, that's that to me is great to give the kids that experience down there. You know, I think that a big thing of that, Chris, is is like what you said, it's 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 just not waiting around for somebody else to just present you with whatever the status quo is. It's the same thing with how I've built Flying Fish over the last dozen years and even during the pandemic of really pivoting and going with whatever it is that gets presented to you, really navigating that situation and making the best choice off the situation and not just sitting around waiting for somebody to help make the decisions for you. So this opportunity to come down here was, yes, it was like, hey, public school system in Portland and in many states for that matter is not great. Um, There are safety concerns as far as you know, true physical safety of schools. The educational platform is really just training kids to be you know, much more methodical and not really self-reliant, you know, critical thinkers. And none of those things are are the type of personality that I am um, or that my wife is. So we decided to just stick our necks out and, and create something just like like I've created the the flying fish in Portland and and you know that I think so I think it's culturally and just like fundamentally it's a belief that some of us entrepreneurs have that there's just no better time than now to just create something yourself and and there's nobody else to blame you just do the best you can and and try to create something cool All right Chris let's just pause a moment here talk about one of our favorite places to eat Ringside Steakhouse You know I just had the good 
fortune to be on the Snake River with Chef Jonathan Gill from Ringside. And uh, boy, that was fantastic. And he served up a little bit of Wagyu and some culottes and some incredible corn that's available on their menu as a side dish. So that was a lot of fun. You can go to, uh, I think, Portland Food Adventures. Uh, Instagram and check out a couple of the images from there. But I will say the couple of nights before we went, my friend and I went to ringside and um, I wanted him to enjoy the best steak he's ever had. Um, And we asked Chef Jonathan to suggest which one of the three options for Wagyu steak we should have. And there's a A4 olive-fed um, Wagyu available on their menu. It's, it's a premium price, of course, but it's worth it because it may just be the best steak you've ever had. And, and as I said, Jonathan served some Wagyu on the river, and we had quite a few people who were regular customers of Ringside who said that was, that was the best steak they've ever had. So that's my suggestion. Um, treat yourself to one of the three options on the menu for Wagyu at, at Ringside. Yeah, definitely one of the reasons why Ringside Steakhouse is Portland Steakhouse for over 78 years. And we should mention, you know, they've gone through some different changes over the past couple of years uh, because of the pandemic, but now open seven days a week back to the way it was. And you can get the uh, full list of uh, hours and schedule your next reservation on their website, ringsidesteakhouse.com. Lots of options at Ringside, and of course, they've gone out of their way to make sure everything is healthy and uh, air is circulating, and uh, Ringside's a great choice. Very nice. So as I mentioned, reservations at ringsidesteakhouse.com, or just make it through the Open Table app. How long did it take from the gel of the idea to, you know, let's go to Mexico to the point where you could plan it enough to, you know, plan where you were going to live and your journey down there in the first place? About six months. It's been a matter of, you know, I got the house set up on Airbnb. We started to figure out how to look for um, houses down here to rent, which was actually pretty challenging. I had about four or five different property management managers looking for places and looking on Airbnb and uh, figuring out all the logistics to to do that. And then also getting all the framework in place to have Flying Fish be operational without me there. So, yeah, about six months um, from inception to to reality of of crossing the border. We drove our our van down here, which was about a three thousand mile journey, and which had its own fair share of adversities and setbacks. And but you know, you just persevere, and and here we are. And and you know, we just went through a hurricane. That was that was yet another. Uh, adversity with the trip and uh but it's again you just just weather the storm and and wake up the next day and clean the shit up and and keep on trucking no pun intended but i wanted to ask you about the uh the experience you had i think it was in utah going down there and uh you know we all thought 2020 in portland was like the worst it was going to get and uh you're experiencing that outside of portland and you were trying to get away from it and here it creeps up on you in the middle of the night correct yeah you know i i had the situation of a of a 
a thief um, and a junkie trying to steal shit off the top of my van on our journey down here, um, at which time I woke up with my son in, in my van um, with me and my wife sleeping in there, and he was on top of my roof trying to steal my shit, and I, I really flipped my lid, and, and after all the years of having damage and theft and burglary and all the things happened to me at Flying Fish that we clean up stuff off the patio every day. We get shit stolen off of there and in our houses. It's just been this culmination of of bad stuff that's been happening in Portland, like you said, for those multiple years. It is pretty widespread. Uh, it's worse in Portland than it is anywhere else. And this happened to me in Salt Lake and, and I, I flipped my lid and, and I wasn't going to allow that to physically happen to me again um, in my presence. So I, I had to um, hold this guy down until the police got there. And long story short, it was a, a pretty horrible situation. And the guy ended up getting arrested and, and you know, felony charges of battery for um, stabbing me in the leg with a knife and, and that sort of stuff. But I just hope that we can all stand up and, and really change the status quo that what is happening in Portland and other places is not okay. And we all need to get together collectively and recognize that we need bigger systemic changes to help these people that are mentally ill or that have drug abuse problems. Um, but then also like be the one to stand up and, and say that that's not okay or to call the police if you see stuff happening because a lot of us these days, it's not worth it to, to stand up and, and to these people, but they've literally run our cities down and they're trashing our cities and I'm just not okay with it anymore. So this is a situation that got presented to me and that it was my turn to stand up and, and make a change and hopefully um, we'll continue to um, show people that, that we can improve and this is not not, the status quo is not okay, and hopefully we'll we'll all do better um, culturally and as a community um, moving forward. There are no easy answers, though. So no. those are all you know. They're all. I think no one would disagree with what you're saying. It's a matter of how to approach it and how to how to fix it. And then, holy shit, just seeing your injuries that you uh, that you in, encountered or you sustained in that altercation that was scary stuff and i just felt so bad because man you know just what i said a minute ago you're trying to get away from that and try a different lifestyle so you didn't have to worry about all that shit every day and here it is right in your face and yep. it's utah of all places right so yeah. <laughs> i mean that's not the first place you would think that would happen i'm not that familiar with utah but court might have something to say about that but um but at any rate, uh, there's no easy answer. I mean, you then, and uh, it's a, it's a, like this really tough mix of, uh, of empathy and, heart, you know, just doing the things that need to be done to protect people. Yeah. So um, it's, I th you know, it's going to be a long time before somebody figures that out. And we've got elections coming up with lots of different approaches and who knows where it's going to go. But, um, but we have to get things back in Portland, at Something's least in Portland and elsewhere. Something's got to Yeah. Get. Just the constant shit going on. And yes, you mentioned it as a business owner. You know, five years ago, you wouldn't have had to clean up shit and deal with theft every day outside of your restaurant, and now you do. Yep. So, yeah, um, it's we've, we've had to um, have my managers have all taken de-escalation training from the daily um, passing by of 
of junkies and mentally unstable people that, that sometimes just need help or need a glass of water or, um, you know, have situations and altercations happen. So we have tried to put ourselves in the position to address those situations so that they, like the training does, de-escalate situations. And it's just unfortunate that we have to spend our resources, my money and labor to pay people to take courses on how to deal with that. Um, but it, it is for the better. I think we all need to learn how to deal with that, whether it be a, a partner or somebody that's on the street. Like we all need to learn how to t- speak more effectively and, and um, you know, to, to have a more, more merry, uh, merry world that we live in. Right. Are you optimistic? Because I, I, I would love to be optimistic. And I know when I read articles and people in power say they're optimistic, that's all well and good, but I haven't really seen the change that's necessary, and I'm nervous about some of the changes that may be coming up and going the wrong direction. Who knows? But do you have optimism that no, I'm not at some point? Optimistic. Not really. Um, I, I've had moments of thinking that things might be getting a little bit better in that, but really, until we really make some hard decisions and stop thinking that we're just going to hurt somebody's feelings if we do this or make sure that they're not out in the street in front of us, then you know, in, in, when when somebody's actually willing to step up and make hard decisions and create an infrastructure um, that actually improves the systems, then then I don't think we're actually going to see too much happen. So we got to somebody's got to step up to the plate and make some changes. Leaf for mayor or governor. Let's do that. <laughs> <Screw> that. <laughs> <laughs> So part of my goal with flying fish in general and even coming down here to Mexico is to show people that, you know, really as as a as a leader, as a entrepreneur, you can do whatever you want to do. It it was a short six month planning period to make this trip down to Mexico. And a lot of people are wondering how how you did it and how all this stuff and really same thing goes with running a business and making hard decisions and sourcing good food and, and running the business in a way that makes sense for both the employees and for the environment and for the ownership. Um, you know, I just want to be somebody who can make the right decisions, make good decisions, and hopefully that will show people that we can make good choices in who we are and where we stand in our, our communities. And then hopefully more people will make good decisions and we can be a leader and an inspiration for other people to make better decisions, both culturally and environmentally and for our bodies and, you know, keep progressing and moving forward as humans. Well, it sounds like you're making decisions for your own life and helping, you know, making decisions that affect others, but also in in doing so, providing a role model and an example for others to follow as well. Um, I know I try not to sit around and wait for shit to happen to, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. I've made my own businesses. I've moved across the country and, you know, everything I've done, I had to make myself too. I don't necessarily know that I could make things happen in the time that you have to get down there in six months, but who knows when you got a family, you got to do some things that are necessary. I mean, I, I think I, in general, I have a tendency to move pretty fast, even even when it comes to my team and, and that I, my, my nickname is Hurricane Leaf and just go figure that I just went through a hurricane. So I guess that's um, quite stereotypical, isn't it? 
but you know, I tend to, I tend to move pretty fast. Um, but that's, you know, not everybody has to move at the same speed. I think that in general, as long as we're moving in a positive direction, it doesn't matter how fast you do it, just make the change. And yes, it's hard and yes, it's nerve wracking and, and yes, it's risky, but whatever life's short, let's do this. I want to know, and I hope you don't, I don't think you mind my asking this. How do you, how do you maintain such a clear mind and clear goals and follow them with the amount, the consumption of cannabis that you actually partake in? <laughs> you know, I've always, been, I've always been a pretty active pot smoker. So um, for me, it, it's actually something that gives me energy. So it's not, I'm not your stereotypical, you know, stoner that sits around and plays video games. No. I, I, <laughs> so, so for some reason, it's just a, a something that that has worked for me and my body constitution, and so really it gives me clarity. Sometimes, if it's too strong, uh, like some of the stuff is these days in the shops, that um, it can give me a little bit of anxiety. So I'm I'm careful about. I mean, I grow my own as as we're legally allowed to in Oregon. Um, so that, that's really important to me because I think it's really important, just like with my food, like what's going into my body. Um, but it, it just depending on which strain and all that, um, it is, it's, it's important to choose the right one. And there are certain shops like pharma is a shop that I've been going to ever since I had a medical card before it was legal. And they have always done really good job on sourcing and making sure that, um, you know, the, the sourcing of the material is done in a great way that again, just like the food that I sell at flying fish, it is, you know, it's good quality stuff that, that is um, made with good ingredients. So. I think that does affect the way you feel when you use it. So share with me a little bit because, you know, I'm, I've always partaken my whole life. And one of the great things about legality was the ability to walk in and saying, hey, this is what I like that doesn't make me paranoid. And so, yes. you know, I, I go for very mild high CBD, very low THC strains. What do you look for when you're looking for the t type of effect that you were just talking about? Well, I actually do both ends of the spectrum. So I think that there's times when when I want something that's going to be a little bit zippier, and then I want something that's going to be a little bit more um, calming. So I have I have both um, that I that I go for. What's what's really special to me about how that industry has progressed is that nowadays they have all the tests, the lab results that actually show the terpenes. And so that's the different smells that each different flower will put off. And each smell is made of something. It's a it's a chemical. It's a it's a plant material. Um, so each smell, the terpenes will affect your bodies in different ways. So some will give you more of a dry mouth. Some will give you more of a buzzy feel. Some will make you more chatty. Um, so they through these lab results, they can actually determine what kind of a feel that those are going to make you um, feel. So it's kind of cool that um, from a scientific like chemistry perspective, just like cooking, um, you can get results like known results through chemistry. And that to me is pretty cool. I, I think that's part of the reason why I like cooking as well is because if you do A, B, then you get C every time. And that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, that's that's a good way of looking at it, and I appreciate that insight. So last question, because I think we're very fortunate to 
continue to have a an internet connection as it's been intermittent and spotty. Um, what are you going to do with yourself? Your kids are going to school. What are you doing down in Mexico with your days? Well, you know, I, I still have quite a lot going on right now. Um, this first couple of weeks have been kind of vacation mode where we're still eating out a lot and, and playing on the beach most of the days. And, and this kid's just started school. Uh, last week was their first week of school. Uh, so we're still getting into the rhythm of things, still on a little bit of the honeymoon, you know, vacation mode right now. But in general, I am still working on a lot of the metrics of Flying Fish. So a lot of the background work of our operational manual and the metrics and what's called like key performance indicators, KPIs of how I'm analyzing the business from afar. So I'm, I'm still working on quite a bit of the stuff from the business um, on the business rather than just in the business boots on the ground in Portland. Uh, so I still, this time for me uh, down here, it's kind of multifaceted. I did, you know, I'm going to be out spearfishing and, and being in the water a lot and still always, you know, swimming like, like the fish because that's just who I am. But I'm also going to work on the business a lot. I also have my fisheries policy work that I do. I'm part of the Pacific Fisheries Council part of a subcommittee called the highly migratory species, which is tuna and swordfish and stuff that's off the West Coast. So in about a week, I'll be flying up to L.A. for uh, five days worth of meetings on how we manage our fisheries and to make sure that we're managing those sustainably and and how to plan for things like offshore wind en- wind energy and larger projects like that, how marine planning. Uh, so I'm still doing fisheries policy work as well. And working on the business, and then I'll be visiting some of my suppliers, um, like my sustainable fair trade certified shrimp that I source from Sinaloa, which is a little bit north of here. I'll be going visiting the shrimp um, little boats that they go out on their little pangas and catch the shrimp and how they process those. So still plan on doing, you know, plenty of like background work on flying fish, working on the operational uh, manual of flying fish fisheries policy, and then lots of fun time in between that. And then lastly, I've always wanted to brew beer, and I've never had the capacity to take on another hobby. So I um, figured that down here I would have a little extra time, so I brought a bunch of beer-making equipment down, and I, I, I stopped in um, the uh, beer supply shop in Portland, um, Seinbart's, before I uh, came down here. And so I've got everything with me. I'm going to start brewing beer. That's awesome! Yeah, I can't wait to I can't wait to taste it and uh, partake in all the things that you're producing uh, and growing. That'll be fun, and, and absolutely, uh, we can do that. And also, so Natalie down there is she continuing her photography business? Is she able to, or is she going to be flying back and forth? What's going on with that? Yeah, so we she will be doing photography down here in Mexico. She um, has is is pretty recognized now um, nationally and, and on West Coast in particular. Um, so she'll be actually be flying into other places to do photography when there's the opportunities that present themselves. And then for people that are visiting Mexico, she has some shoots lined up down here for the next eight months. And then we have uh, several trips planned back to Portland. I'll be back in Portland every two months and, and she'll be back for several of those trips. Uh, so she's already booked sessions for when she's back in Portland as well. So yes, uh, you know, scrambling as a as also as an entrepreneur of trying to just make, you know, make it happen um, in both of our respective categories. Good. Where do we find her, by the way, on the on the web? You know, nataliegildersleeve.com is her her um, website, and then she's on Instagram as well um, under Natalie Gildersleeve. Perfect. Yeah. All right, and of course, Flying Fish. 
PDX for everything else we've discussed, yep. correct? Am I yep. right about that? Yeah, Flying Fish And then PDX. you can find that on Instagram. And are there anywhere – are you doing anything – personally to document your experience down there that people can follow or is that uh is that something we'll just have to check in with you on the podcast by the way i believe officially you are now if you weren't already you are now the most frequent guest we've had on this podcast in <laughs> awesome. <our> years awesome <laughs> happy to be that i've always got lots to say so you know that you can always hit me up whenever it is about whatever topic it is and we'll we'll, we'll find some time to talk about things and and hopefully you know dig and, and explore and, and, and make people. Well, as, as host, I know I can always have you on and it goes well and it goes Thank easy you. in the conversation and you can carry it. So, Thank you. um, you know, I just keep my mouth shut. This is where I really practice shutting up and listening. It's a hard thing um, to do with, with you when you're on. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I do have a personal blog that I do. It's called, yeah, well, no, it's, you know, it's my new year's resolution every year to shut up and listen. And I yep. really, I don't accomplish it, but I try to get a little better at it every year. Definitely. So, um, I do have a personal blog. It's called, all right. So we lost leaf there, but he just texted me what his personal blog is. It was kind of uh, fitting that it just disappeared at that moment. But it is sustainablefishmonger.org. You can follow Leaf's other travails and what he's doing over there. And we thank Leaf so much for the added effort that he took uh, to stay with this particular interview because we had to keep coming on and off. And then I thank Court for the editing job that he's going to need to do from here. And, uh, and we thank you listeners for listening as well. In addition to our sponsors, of course, Ringside and Zupans. Uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and share it with your friends as well. And we welcome your um, suggestions as to who we might want to have on the podcast as well. So this is Chris signing off. And uh, thanks so much for listening to Right at the Fork. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right